0: It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said, Those who are still afraid of men have no fear of God. Those who have a fear of God have ceased to be afraid of men. A look at the benefits of discipleship next on Graceful Truth. So many times
1: people fear getting sick. People fear death. People fear the body breaking down. You know what? It's going to happen. It's happening as we sit here, as we speak. Your body is breaking down. You know, when you go to get up at the end of the service, it may be a little tougher to get up this week than it was last week. That's how fast it's happening. And we're worried about preserving this life on this earth filled with sin? He says, don't fear that. Don't fear those who can take your your life physically. But if God tells you to do something, you better fear him.
0: From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Welcome to our broadcast. Today, we're going to resume our series called The ABCs of Discipleship, What Every Believer Should Know About Following Jesus. We're in Matthew chapter 10 today. We'll be looking at verses 26 through 33. It's here that we see the benefits of a healthy fear of God and the liberty that it brings as we live out our lives before a dead and dying world. Here now with today's graceful truth, our teacher and pastor once again, is Pastor Steve Converse.
1: disciple knows he'll be vindicated. Secondly, a disciple fears God more than man. A disciple fears God more than man. Verses 27 and 28. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And whatever you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the body and the soul in hell. See, a person who truly worships and fears God does not fear man. It just just doesn't go together. And you know that because, first of all, they keep nothing secret. You know, there's no secrets in Christianity. What Jesus has told us, we're to tell others. We're to give the message of the gospel in its entirety, just as we received it. At the time of Jesus, when the rabbis would teach their students on reading the Torah and different things, you know, they'd be in front of people, and the rabbi would stand here, and the student would stand here. And it would be kind of like a... teaching time. And there'd be people out there and the student would listen as the rabbi would lean over and say, "Okay, here's what I want you to say. Say this." And he'd say it real quiet so nobody else could hear. And then the pupil would say whatever the rabbi said in his ear. Not only he heard it, but he was to proclaim it to the whole synagogue who was gathered there. See, they understood that contextually and and in their culture. That's what Jesus is talking about here. That young man would repeat exactly what he was told. And the Lord used that picture to show how disciples were to openly speak what they had been told privately. So when we come to Christ and God tells us through his word that, hey, you know, I want you to go share this with other people. We're to do it boldly by keeping nothing secret, by telling everybody. He said, when I tell you in darkness, what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. What you hear in the ear, proclaim from the rooftops or the housetops. In other words, he set no restrictions on what his disciples were to share with the lost and the dying of the world. They're to hold nothing back. So many times we hold back, don't we, when we're sharing Christ. We just hold back with the fear factor. We got other things going on and we just hold back. We restrain ourselves from telling people the truth about things like sin, about things like repentance and hell and heaven. In Christ, and the blood of Christ, and, and all these things. We don't want to use certain phrases because we're afraid we'll offend somebody. And oftentimes when it comes to evangelism, we start our conversation with somebody, well, would you like to be happy? <laughs> don't you want to be happy in life? Happy, happy in Jesus. Where do you see that in Matthew 10? Being thrown into a pack of wolves doesn't sound too happy to me. Would you like to have all your problems solved and go to heaven forever? I mean, you'd have to be a total moron to say no to that question. Would you like to experience true love? See, those who ask such questions think that somehow we're going to make Jesus so desirable Oh, well, they just can't help themselves. Where do I sign up? Yeah, I want to follow Jesus. That sounds so good. And that's why our churches are full of people Who think they know Christ? They have never counted the cost. They probably never even repented of their sin because nobody ever told them to repent of their sin. Nobody ever told them about righteous living and holy living and living like the Savior lived. So they make some profession of faith. They raise a hand or they sign a card or they walk down an aisle thinking that somehow that makes them a Christian. That doesn't make you a Christian. Show me in the Bible where that makes you a Christian. Doesn't. You won't find it. As a matter of fact, those things can all be manipulated. I bet you I could turn on the emotions even today and by the end of the service, have several people walking down the aisle. What good is that? If I'm just playing to your emotions, that's all I'm playing to. If God's not truly speaking to your heart, if God's not truly convicting you of the sin in your life, you know, I can make you feel however you want. It's not going to do any good. You're going to walk out of here the same sinner you came in. But when God truly touches somebody's heart, when God truly transforms someone, when God truly grants them repentance, And they come to God and they say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And they're crying out in utter desperation to a holy God. And God saves them. You see a change. You see something new. You see something transformed. They're not the same person they were before. And yet so many times, well, you know, somebody comes to Christ. Well, you know, we got to give them some time. They're learning and, you know, certain things. I don't see that in the Bible. Everybody that's come into contact with Christ, if they were truly a follower of his, they changed radically. And I think we're confusing ourselves on this sometimes. I mean, if you were to approach someone you work with and lovingly say, my friend, you know what? Do you know that you're in danger of burning in hell forever if you don't receive salvation through Jesus Christ? (laughs) I mean, you know, after you pick them up off the floor. I mean, stop and think about it. Is that a true statement? That's a very true statement. You know, we want to coddle. We want to, you know, wow, we can't just say that. Sometimes maybe that's the best route. Cut right to the chase. If they're still your friend after you say something like that to them, man, God's definitely working somewhere. <laughs> because that kind of message offends people. Now, we don't want to go out purposely to offend people. We don't do that. But the message itself offends people. And the problem with churches today is they take the message and they dumb it down to be non-offensive. So you've got all these churches full of people Some of them saved. Probably most of them aren't. And then they're there to worship God? An unbeliever can't worship God. But we're to tell everybody that. We're also to add nothing to it. Verse 27 says basically we are to tell not only nothing less than the whole truth but also nothing more. Don't be adding anything to the gospel. The first means getting alone with God and pouring over his word. Only from that secret place of study and prayer. You go out and you speak God's truth boldly before others. And when you add to the message of God's word, you confuse people regarding the truth. So we're to tell everything, but don't add anything to it. Don't add your own version of the gospel. Just go to what the Bible says and share the gospel with people. And he also says we're to do it by making public proclamation. In the days of Christ, a lot of times, just culturally, when the city needed to hear something, Announcement had to be made, okay? They would go to the highest rooftop and the guy would go out on the rooftop and he'd shout and everybody could hear him. That's what he's talking about. These roofs had flat roofs. And so they had a little patio up there. And a lot of times, you know, people slept and ate up there in the cool of the night. They'd have social events on the roof. But making an announcement only required that a person stand on his roof and shout. And you'd have the advantage over the whole city, over the whole town. They still do that today. When we are over in Turkey and, and uh, the Middle East there, in the Muslim world, we saw these little uh, minarets and little tower kind of deals. And uh, now they have a speaker up there, and they do it mostly automatically. But in some of the smaller villages, um, the local iman or whoever he was, he'd go to the, the, the minaret, come out of his house, climb up the stairs all the way around, and he'd go up and he'd do the call to prayer. And you could hear it all over the, all over the area there. And in the smaller villages, they didn't even have, you know, the, the speaker and all that. And it's because it's a small village, but you could hear him clearly. And that's basically what, what, what he's talking about. Going up and shouting publicly. So not just telling everything, not adding anything, anything to it, making public proclamation. But also, you've got to be willing to pay the price. See, there's a price to be paid, beloved, when you tell the whole gospel. Over in Acts chapter 21, verses 10 and 11, it records how Agabus warned Paul that he would be imprisoned for preaching the gospel in Jerusalem in Acts 21. The text then records Paul's resolution and basically says, hey, I'm going to finish the ministry here. <laughs> I don't care, you can throw me in jail if you want. I'm going to continue to do what God has called me to do. See, Paul's example shows us that the gospel is never to be kept a secret and that there's a price to pay for proclaiming it clearly and loudly and boldly. Someone asked me, what if the government says, you know what, you're not allowed to say certain things if, if, if they restrict you somehow as they're seeking to do in, 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 in the future with what you can say from a pulpit, being that it would be a hate crime to tell someone that their homosexuality is a sin and other issues. I, I pray that God would give me the grace to just keep on doing what I'm doing. If they throw me in jail, they throw me in jail. I mean, it's out of, out of things like that that you see in other countries. The church of Christ doesn't suffer. It grows. They're more emboldened under persecution. And beloved, I, I just want you to know that it's coming. It's coming to our country. You may sit here today and say, oh, I don't think that ever happened. Oh, it will happen. The Bible says it will happen. And if we can't be bold now when we don't have restrictions and everything, you think we're going to be bold when it might cost you your head or your freedom? So we have to remind ourselves that that's what what God requires us, to keep nothing secret. Secondly, to keep things in perspective. Keep things in perspective. Jesus keeps things in perspective. Um, he, He says there clearly, fear not them who kill the body. See that? But you know what? They're not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell. Speaking of God. Do you understand man can only kill your body? Think about that. So you go out and you share, say that go down to San Francisco and you're sharing on the streets of San Francisco and you're sharing the gospel and somebody comes up and shoots you in the head. What'd they do? They just gave you a free ride to heaven, right? I mean, it's just a body. Now, I'm not saying we have some suicidal, crazy, you know, <laughs> Wish, but keep it in perspective. So many times people fear getting sick. People fear death. People fear the body breaking down. You know what, it's gonna happen. It's happening as we sit here, as we speak. Your body is breaking down. You know, when you go to get up at the end of the service, it may be a little tougher to get up this week than it was last week. That's how fast it's happening. And we're worried about preserving this life on this earth filled with sin? He says, don't fear that. Don't fear those who can take your your life physically. But if God tells you to do something, you better fear Him. In Philippians 1.21, Paul said, for to me to live is what? Christ, and to die is gain. I mean, it's such a blessing, beloved, when you go to a funeral of someone who knows the Savior. It really is. Some funerals, I don't even wear a black suit. I say, what, what, what am I? I mean, you want to be respectful? But you also want people to understand that, you know what? This person's in glory. I mean, if we're mourning, we should be mourning for ourselves in this situation. Keep things in perspective of eternity. And keep things in perspective of who's in charge. God is able to destroy both soul and body. Look at what he says, in hell forever. See, hell is where Satan himself will be subject to continual destruction. Only God has the keys to death and hell, Revelation one eighteen says. Not only God, so only God should be feared. Man's power is puny besides the power of God. Matthew, in this text, he's not threatening believers with hell. That's not what he's doing. He's pointing out that all mankind, all my, mankind should fear the one who determines the destiny of both soul and body. Not those who can merely kill the body. Our fear for God shows itself in how we react to opportunities to share the gospel. There's going to be results. If you walk out of here and you start boldly sharing the gospel with your family, you know what? You're going to be persecuted by your family. I guarantee it. But if we fail to communicate the gospel to our family members who don't know the Lord because maybe we think they'll be angry with us or you know they won't invite us over for turkey at Thanksgiving or whatever, or ask us to leave, don't come back. We show what? We show that we fear man more than God. So it's 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 very, very important to understand that. And some people, when you share the gospel with them, they say, ah, so what? I just want to go and burn in hell and life would be over just non-existence. That's not what that word means. You notice that word destroy in Matthew 10 28. It's an ongoing destruction. It never ends. It's like being tortured for eternity the same word in 2 Thessalonians 1.9 when it says, On them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. See, the destruction of hell is, is, is something that's continual. It's forever. In Matthew 10.28, the Greek word there translated hell is Gehenna. And it was the name of the city dump outside the city, outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus used it to illustrate the terrible nature of hell because in that dump, worms would continue. Have you ever been to a dump? It's just disgusting. You got maggots and you got worms, you got all sorts of horrible things in a dump. You can find some neat things too, but mostly it's gross. burning trash. That's the illustration he's using. In hell, the unsaved will be consumed in their resurrected bodies forever. People ask sometimes, is there literal fire in heaven? Is there literal fire in heaven? Since both the saved and the unsaved are resurrected to eternal life with literal bodies... In Revelation 20, it shows that the fire in hell is literal and eternal. It's just that you won't burn up. I don't know if you've ever been burned by fire, but it's not fun. And that's just one of the things that they had to look forward to. Last thing, quickly. The, the disciple also knows that he's valued by God. In verses 29 to 31, it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father, knowing but the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valued than many sparrows. It shows two things. First of all, it shows God's interest. That word there basically is the equivalent to a penny for that coin the word translated sparrows refers to little birds. And so if two small birds could be bought for a penny, or five birds for two cents, according to Luke 12, 6, those little birds were bought to be served as hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> and yet verse 29 says that not one of those inexpensive little birds, when they fall to the ground... And that word fall doesn't even mean fall, it means hop. It means every time one of those little birds just hops. You know, we got little birds over here. You know, they, they make mess everywhere, they're continually cleaning up their mess. It's disgusting. But these little birds hop around. You know, they see me coming, you know, with the hose. You know, they hop away, you know, fly away. But they're always hopping. Every time they hop, God knows. That's just amazing to me. Nothing misses him. His knowledge is just incredible. Something as insignificant as a bird hopping from one branch to the other. And the Bible says God knows about that. He cares about that. And he's relating that to his disciples. God is the father of every disciple. He knows all of us. And he assigns a number to every hair on our heads. Some of them are big, some of them are small. But God knows how many hairs are on our heads. You know, the average person has about 130,000 hairs on their head. God's interested to that degree in us. And lastly, it shows us his care. Because he says, fear not, in verse 31 Because you're more valuable than those sparrows. If God cares that much for these little dinky birds, you don't think that he cares so much more for you? The same God who cares for those little birds also cares for us. Psalm 91.7 says, A thousand may fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come near thee. In other words, God is protecting God cares for us. Back in Matthew 6, verse 28 and 30, he said, consider the lilies of the field. If God so clothed the grass of the field, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? See, we're often afraid that we could lose our reputation, we could lose our job, we could maybe be injured. We're fearful of those things. But Jesus says not to fear, because we are of great worth. And you don't think God is going to care for you? God will take care of you? Last time I checked, all of us will die on time. God will die. We will die at the appointed time God has laid out for us. That's good news and bad news. We don't know what the time is. But for all you people that go to the gym every day, thinking somehow you're adding time to your life, <laughs> And we should be considerate of our body. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're told to take care of it. But there's people that take that too far. There's people that want to be young forever. You're not going to be young forever. And so Matthew here explains to us that we shouldn't be fearful of these things. And he says all that in light of being his disciple. So I, I want to close with a word of prayer. And Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, that you have made clear to us that as your disciples, we shouldn't fear the world. Father, we know that one day you will deliver us. We know, Lord, that we should fear you more than man, definitely. And we know that you care for us. And Father, that alone should be enough that we could go out into this lost and dying world and that we could proclaim the truth of the gospel boldly as these disciples did. And it wasn't an easy task, it was very difficult. But that's what you've called us to do as believers. And so I pray that we would embrace that this morning. That, Lord, that this week, this up-and-coming week, as we look for opportunities, even today, as we step out of this building, out into that lost and dying world on its way to hell, that we would ask you to lead us, to guide us, to share the truth of the gospel with someone. And that we would do it boldly. And that we would let the results up to you. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, who hasn't made that profession of faith, hasn't been transformed by your power, doesn't know what it means to have the forgiveness of sin and the burden of guilt and shame lifted from their lives, Lord, I pray that they would cry out to you. Lord, that they would cry out to you humbly, be merciful to me, a sinner, Lord. And I pray that you would transform their heart and their life as only you can. Thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' precious name.
0: Our series is simply entitled The ABCs of Discipleship. You've been listening to Graceful Truth, and it's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible-teaching church in your area, and if not, we'd love to have you come by and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call Here's our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. That's gracefultruth.org. If you would like the series, The ABCs of Discipleship, let us know when you contact us. We'd be more than happy to get these into your hands. Again, our series is called The ABCs of Discipleship, taken from Matthew chapter 10. Our phone number once again is 650-366-9923, or visit us online at gracefultruth.org. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless.